How you been, man? I wanted to talk to you about movies, commercials, and everything in between. What do you think is the main reason why most of those, the lighting and the picture kind of sucks? Especially when you're starting out. Even if you have all the time and resources available, I would say, uh, there's also like planning, you know? If, if you're working on by yourself or you're working like making your own content at home, you know, if you spend more time like actually planning out where you're gonna put things or how things are gonna be, uh, or, or even just making like a simple lighting plan about like where you want this light to be or, or what the look needs to be, you just, just taking that extra pre-production time. Mm -hmm. Or if you're going to shoot like something like what we're shooting today, if you spend more time, you know, figuring out like, okay, this is what I need or need it to look like. And then maybe you do like a pre-light and then when it comes time to actually shoot, you have everything kind of set up in place and you spent that extra little bit of time uh, just dialing things in, then you're gonna be more successful in your shoot day. And a lot of times people don't give extra time for, for lighting. So they end up having to kind of start from scratch whenever their actual shoot day is. So sometimes that might involve like bringing the lights out of the vehicle or the truck and then having to, you know, walk through with the gaffer and the key grip and figure out where to put them and come up with a lighting plan on the day. Mm -hmm. And uh, instead of doing it in advance, instead of doing it in advance and, and that kind of like robs you of your creative shooting time, you know, because you have to put a lot of time and energy into thinking about just coming up with that plan of how it's going to look. And then that takes away from the actual yeah. shoot. I think something that happens a lot is that we want to show up and almost be creative on the spot and be good on the spot. Yeah. The the planning part, I, I don't enjoy it very much, to be honest. Yeah. Because I, I love to show up and almost feel in that moment what that requires. Mm -hmm. I think whenever you and I have worked together on, on music videos or commercials or anything like that, you always want to see like pictures of the location, yeah. you want to go in advance, <laughs> which is great. I think I agree with you. It definitely helps you a lot. But let's say you're in a pinch because most productions, like I call it, hey, are you available like in two days? Like we Come need right to now. do this. Yeah. So what is your process when you show up? What is your process? Like, what are the first things that you look at and that you try to put in place, like kind of step by step? How how do you do it? If I have like limited information going into the job. Yeah, let's say you came in, you show up, you have the your small package and then you have a room. For example, we did a music video uh, that we shot in this big house and we had that the opening scene was the guy waking up and we needed sunset and it was like cloudy and ugly outside. What's your first thing that you put in place? Um, the first thing, if I don't have like a location scout or I don't really know the, the layout of the building is really just to kind of spend a few minutes with my crew and my people, my director, whoever, and just walk around the space and just see where does the natural light come from? Where does, where are there windows? What is the block, you know, the environment? How does it, how does it, can you move through the environment? Where do the actors need to go? Where can things play out? If they stand here, how are they going to look? And just just look around, just explore. That's like mm -hmm. the first like 10, 15 minutes of just like getting to a place. Before I take anything out, of, before I build any lights, it's just exploring and just seeing, looking around. Oh, maybe I can mount a light here. Maybe this will look nice, you know, just kind of exploring, figuring things out. And then I can start to kind of make a plan based on like, you know, the vibe of the video. What is it supposed to look like? Mm -hmm. You know, it's supposed to be like, 
high key Disney commercial. I need lots of like this. Is it a, you know, romantic, you know, Latin music video? Like, yeah. well, what's what's the vibe of the thing? And then I could start kind of making decisions on what units and how I want them to be shaped and whatever. What's your go-to like light that you kind of build first and and with that? Because for me, I try to figure out where the key, where my key is coming from. Yeah, definitely the key light is. That's why it's called your key light. You know, it's going to be the first light that's going to key your actor. So what are you rocking these days? Are you going for like the sky panel? Or are you playing with some aperture? What's what's in your bag? Um, well, it depends again on what you're shooting. You know, uh, ideal scenario and also you what camera you're shooting on. You know. So ideal scenario, you can pick what's the camera you would pick, and I want us to get into cameras and, and argue about that a little bit. <laughs> what's your ideal camera and lens combo that you would start with, and then what light would you bring to get the party started? Um, the light, uh, I've been using the 1200D a lot from Aperture. Uh, it's a very powerful light. Um, I've been doing a lot of like slow motion stuff and like high frame rate, you know, or even working with pro blends, you need, when I, I was in a studio, small studio like this, and I had four of them and it was like not enough light. You have four 1200Ds. Yeah, so it's the equivalent enough. of like two M40s and it wasn't enough light to shoot really detailed stuff with the probe light, a thousand frames a second. So it really depends on the situation, you know, like yeah. you can't say like one light, you know, different gigs, different rigs. Mm -hmm. I always say that, you know, so it depends on the gig, what you need, what camera you have. If you're shooting Sony, maybe it's, you know, a lot, you know, more sensitive to light. You can push the ISO and it's not really a problem, you know. Um, what so lenses are you on? You know, that really yeah. depends on a lot of things. So with cameras, we switched to Sony, especially for the podcast. And mm -hmm. I know you have your Blackmagic, which I had a, a Ursa 2. Yeah, big fan of Blackmagic. Yeah. I love it, but my black magic it just got fried. The sensor died, then it was, I don't know, and it was also very clunky. So when I'm mm -hmm. looking at the future, their 12K camera, I was super excited about yeah. it, but then I wasn't, when I saw the footage, it looked good, but it looked too much like video. So what's your take on, like, why are you going with black magic for your like own personal? Yeah, for myself, I have 6K Pro. I work with a lot of, uh, Blackmagic cameras for a few of my clients. Um, I shoot on everything though. I shoot on RED and Area, whatever, Sony, Canon. It's like I said, depends on what the job is. But for myself, to what I would put my money into, it's just a more versatile camera. Why? For production, for video production, film production. Okay. Uh, if you are somebody who is like a hybrid shooter, content creator, and you need to do stills and you need to have like fast workflow, maybe you work by yourself. Mm -hmm. then I would, I would say maybe not your best thing. But for me, I always have lights and usually a crew, if not two to three other people that are helping me. Mm -hmm. So I know that that camera can do well in an environment where I'm able to give it enough light to the sensor. Mm -hmm. And I know that uh, I'm going to have sound pumping in or I'm going to have external person working with sound, uh, probably some set design. You know, like I, I know the environments that I'm yeah. using that camera in. Because they, they, well. they do struggle with the low light. That's the one thing with like black magic, you need to feed it like enough light. So do reds. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I think red has gotten better yeah. in, the, in the last few years. Yeah. Red has gotten better with that. And the noise, maybe I'm crazy, but I yeah. feel like the noise on a red is prettier to look at than, than the, the noise, noise on a black magic. Yeah, I would agree. 
because on my black magic i was getting those the grid mm -hmm. i don't know if you had that it's like blocky like compression yeah it was like you could see almost like the way the sensor is built you could see these lines Oh, like as a grid i don't know if it was my camera specifically yeah. that had those problems when the iso was pushed like like 1600 i could never shoot 1600 on on that black magic yeah my mine specifically has dual native iso so i can push 400 or i can do 3200 I, so I, I, I can go into a whole nother bracket of iso okay. and once i get up above into 3200 it becomes clean again like resets so, so you need to understand also what your camera can do mm -hmm. i can shoot low light i can shoot go out and shoot 3200 no lights out in the street and i can get clean images but mm -hmm. i need to be at very high iso and okay. still i'll put like a little tube light or something you know you, you never want to like starve your sensor of light if yeah. there's always an opportunity to help it out a little bit then it's yeah. always you're always going to get a cleaner image even if you need to bring it down a little in post yeah now i love what you were saying about if you're a content creator and you're doing things on your own and you need past workflow versus working on a kind of pro environment do you really see a difference when you're using that camera and you have uh you, you have a gaffer a swing and you have a couple lights you have more time you have diffusion yeah do you really get something else extra out of that sensor and that combination when you compare it to shooting on your own with one of this like i think sony what they did with the the camera that made me do the switch was this fx3 yeah it's great and it's like with that camera, I get the same quality I was getting with my Blackmagic kind of better. I had an older Blackmagic, but I'm yeah. getting the same quality as good as a Red Komodo. And I don't need to feed it that much light. It's lighter package. So I almost get the same. So do you feel that there's actual an extra gain in quality or the look or anything? when you're shooting with an airy and you have more people and all of that, because I'm kind of in the middle. Like I love a big crew. I love to walk in and have like 10 people and everyone is like adding a little bit. Yeah. But lately I'm almost, sometimes I feel like, yeah, we do all of this and then the pictures look not that much different from if I had like only two people. It's uh, about your workflow too. Like one of the reasons I really like shooting black magic uh, the 6K Pro and then also the Ursas and stuff like that, they all have internal ND filters. And yeah. that's a huge thing to be able to control light is being able to have ND filters and be able to quickly change them. And if you're by yourself, you don't have an AC with the matte box and the lens filters, and that's yeah. it's incredibly difficult to yeah. manage that by yourself. And these and are clicking, clicking a button and I got exposure, let's go. Mm -hmm. That saves a ton of time and also keeps your gear clean and you know yeah. like it's that's really good you know the sony sony's are great but you have to screw a filter to be able to stop down you know mm -hmm. um they did they're also the user interface i feel like of black magic like all their cameras every all their gear their switchers their software their everything that they make is very easy to fall like anybody who's a complete beginner to our industry can really jump on with black magic stuff mm -hmm. and just get up and running without having to like have so much knowledge about what's going on. So it's like very plug and play. Yeah. You know, it makes sense. You open it up, you start looking through the menus and it's like, oh, okay, I get, I, the, I understand the settings. I understand how to get this camera up and rolling right away. And it's not like super complicated. Yeah. With Sony, I just get buried in the menus. I know how to use Sony cameras, but yeah. even still, I open up the Sony cameras 
you know, FX9 or Venice or this one. And I'm just like, it's so ugly. I'm like, oh, this is like clunky. Why did, why did some things don't also make sense? Why they're inside other yeah. menus, which is crazy because black magic is a software company, but Sony is a massive software hardware company. Yeah. They make TVs. They make all kinds of yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> they, they make the video game consoles video, and yeah, all yeah, that. PlayStations, yeah. Some somehow like they have the camera guys that are in like in the basement of the company or something like <laughs> doing the menu. I don't know why it's so difficult. Red used to be my favorite menu system until I switched to Blackmagic. And then I think that yeah. I was like, hands down, it's like the cleanest yeah. of all the cameras. Got to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. With Airy, I, I'm not like, I don't see the their menus. Everyone always talked about, you know, Airy is like more intuitive and it's simple. Yeah. It's, it's very simple. It's simple, but yeah. it's not like, I think Blackmagic surpassed them. Yeah. They, they made it like, uh, you don't need to search for things. I feel like. And also with the button layout, you don't need to really search for things. I mean, area as well, uh, you know, you have AC on the smart side of the camera, you can really control and dial things in really, really quickly. It's not like hard to understand, or if you have a viewfinder, you can really just go through your settings pretty quick. Uh, yeah, I mean. Now, how do you feel about buying and versus renting something? Because we have worked on a lot of different projects yeah, yeah. where we usually rent for those. Uh, when we had the big music videos, we brought the array with the Coke lenses and we brought more things. Mm. But then you have your own, your cameras that you own. I have some cameras that I own. What's your take on that? I'm a big fan of renting all the time. Uh, like I said, different gigs, different rigs. Mm -hmm. It's you should rent depending on what you need. Talk to the director, or cinematographer or if you're a cinematographer, figure out, you know, what does this project need? Do we need to shoot super slow motion? Do we need uh, a small camera that has high dynamic range that can mount on the front of a car? You know, maybe it, maybe it is a Sony, maybe it is a red Komodo, you know, or does it need to go on a drone? Like what, what a shot are we trying to go after? Does it need to be documentary? Does it need to live on a shoulder rig? Does it have to have ND filter? You know, like yeah. you start with what you're trying to achieve and then work backwards to find the tool. Now, did you ever fail on that trap? which I felt like that at the beginning of my career where I feel like if I don't own the camera, I'm not going to get the gigs. And also I feel like, oh, if I buy this big red camera, I'm going to get so, so much more work. I'm going to get so many yeah. more clients. What's your take on that? That's a good question. Uh, yeah, I feel like a lot of people are like, they go out just to get the red and they have, oh, I got this camera package and this and that. And it's like, I really feel like, you're more valuable for what you know than what you own you know it's it's what's in here mm -hmm. that's really what people are hiring you for and they're bringing you onto your projects because of the understanding and the experience that you have uh, that you're able to bring to the crew not specifically what you were able to put on your credit card and bring yeah. and order off amazon or get to your house and look i have all this kit it's like, man, I could go rent all the kit. What, tell me what you want to work with and let's, and that's another thing is like having, I have, I meet a lot of people that have fancy stuff. They have cool gear all the time and it's like, they don't quite have a full understanding of what their gear even does. So their stuff looks like Chad too. Yeah. So, well, I mean, yeah, just because you have a fancy camera or a nice lens or whatever, it's like, you really need to have a, a good understanding of how to use those tools properly to get what you want out of them. And really being like knowledgeable about all cameras and, and just broad topics about lighting, about sound, about whatever it is you're trying to go after for filmmaking. 
is like more important than necessarily trying to have just the best gear. It's, people always say like, oh, gear doesn't matter. It does matter. Be, yeah. To based, me, it matters based on time. what you're trying to do. Yeah. It matters. Um, but there's also, you know, if you have certain limitations of what your budget is or what you're able to do, you can still make amazing things, but you just need to prioritize where you're going to put those resources. You know, if, if you can't put it all into the fast lenses then put it into lighting, if you can't put it into, you know, whatever, one thing or the other set design, then put it into audio, yeah. you know? So building your own kit, if you had to start buying some things, what would you start with first? like just starting out yeah let's say but starting yeah. out because think about it like people who are way ahead in their careers like this video and this conversation yeah, it's yeah. not even for people at our level yeah, i'm thinking of the kid that is young starting out mm -hmm. what should they focus on building because it does add up and like i have some pieces like that tripod i bought that in 2014 and i still have it yeah. like these cameras are all like new cameras that i bought recently because i switched from canon to sony and i have black magic and then i have canon and like i always wanted to buy a red so you kind of changed throughout time what would you kind of start with and build your base for an independent almost like a full-on all-around content creator because nowadays you and I, you have your feature film that you're working on. I have my feature film that I that I finished. Mm -hmm. I'm working on other scripts, but next month I'm gonna shoot like a big interview live stream setup for a big company, and then the next day I'm gonna do a music video, and then the next day I'm gonna do a podcast. So how would you kind of build now that we are making all kinds of content? Yeah, if you're really like a generalist, like a jack of all trades, I would say. Uh, get things that are good enough okay they don't need to be the best at at everything you know so, so kind of spread it around instead yeah. of buying like a twenty thousand dollar camera yeah buy, don't like, don't don't get re signature primes and then you have a tripod that falls over because it can't <laughs> hold the camera you know <laughs> you don't you know don't get like the best light and then your lens only goes to five six you know or like yeah you know what I mean? Or like your sound is terrible. You know, you can't, don't even have a, a microphone, you know? Yeah, but so it's hard get, get enough, get enough level of production quality yeah. and spread out the resources. You know, that's what I'll say. Like, like, you know, I like to have, like I said, the gear does matter. If I'm going to get a C stand, I want to have a good C stand. That's going to be solid. I can put my things on it and know that it's not going to fall over. Know that it's going to be strong. If I'm going to want to have a tripod, I want it to be good, good set of sticks. That's going to really support the camera, you know, or uh, anything, you know, I want it to be, once you start to work on jobs and get paid for your job, your, your time, you want to rely on your gear and also have it not break down on you. Cause then it's like, they say like, you know, buy nice or buy twice, you know? So it's like, oh, okay. It's kind of a hard but hit. And you contradicting yourself there a little bit. It's like buy the, <laughs> the low. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then buy something nice that lasts. It's gonna, it's gonna help you later on down the road, uh, if your stuff is, like I said, to a certain level. There, there's level. There's like beginner level. There's intermediate, and then there's like very advanced. So let's you know? do an intermediate. So I would say intermediate. Don't, don't, the overlook the beginner level things. You know, don't go right to the top on everything, and don't cut corners on the small, on like the level one. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very. That's that's what I mean by it. I, you know. Yeah, 
That's very interesting. I, I totally buy, buy nice. That. Don't buy amazing. You know. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Don't buy buy good enough. Buy good. Don't buy great. You can't afford great. That's yes. gonna kill the budget. Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent agree with you. I remember when I was first starting out. Uh, there was this uh, director that I really looked up to. His name is Vincent Laforet. Right. I don't know if you yeah. have, you know of him. Mm -hmm. So I tweeted at him about this question of like buying versus renting. Yeah, yeah. So he said. On the tweet, I remember clearly, he said, if you are going to rent it more than six times, buy it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. If you're going to use it less than six times, rent it. So that stuck out to me, and I, I've tried to apply that. But to be honest, like, I, I'm a sucker for equipment and gear. So I mm -hmm. end, like, you just want it and you just want to buy it. So yeah, I yeah. really, really love it. So I haven't been good at that, I don't think. But I agree with you, you have to kind of build your middle of the road basic kit. Now, do you feel that, should you start going after the clients and the projects and then rent and then build? Or should you try to save some money, build like a basic kit and then go after the gigs? Um, How would you play kind of the business side of things? Like in your experience working here in Hollywood and there's a lot of uh, producers that I work with or have worked with over the years who don't own anything <laughs> they really get away with or maybe they have like a few things you know that they kind of like they've had to buy over the years of working and they just kind of like hold on to them because they're just like a pack rat and they just they're like oh this paper roll I better hold on to it. You never know when we're gonna do another music video. I need a paper roll or you know, gaff tape or whatever the thing that they ended up having to buy on their production. They yeah. keep it for whatever, but they don't have cameras, lenses that like all the basic things you need for production. They rent those things out, you know, and it's or they'll hire like a DP and he comes with his kit. They'll hire a sound person. They come yeah. with their bag. And but let's say for a cinematographer, like if you want to be a cinematographer, yeah, a cinematographer has different cinematographer uh yeah like i said i would start with a good camera you know that's going to get you work because like i said there's there's beginning middle and top level cameras uh don't even look at the bottom level cameras if you want to be serious about making a career you know yeah uh it's just gonna give you headaches you know you're, it's gonna fail on you you're gonna have limitations and it's gonna just make you look bad and, yeah. and it's going to limit you in certain ways and you're gonna up have to upgrade right away to either this camera or a better camera or have to end up renting because your camera has can't do yeah. some things that you need to it's gonna limit you you're gonna be like well i can shoot x y and z but i got this other project and my camera's no good for that so i have to end up getting renting another thing so, so you have a camera and you end up renting another camera all the time what good is that one you know yeah so now, what do you see the difference between being here in LA and being in other states? Because I know you were here, you went to somewhere else, and then you came back and had to like kind of rebuild again. Yeah. Do you see a big difference between living in LA to growing this career or being in another state? Um, well, I used to live in Michigan, and I did a lot of like TV broadcast stuff in Michigan, and. There's no like film industry really. And they have like some, like they give you some grants and stuff. They want you to come and like shoot in Flint, Michigan, certain areas, Detroit. Um, 
and and then like certain crews will go to those areas and like get shots and get things and there are movies that are shot kind of all around you know but the this is the heart of where entertainment is made and, mm -hmm. and there's more content here at a higher level being produced and you know people say oh you can go to new york you can go to all these different places like even all around the world you know people in brazil people there's content being made you know people have cameras people shoot stuff there's tv stations you know germany wherever all over yeah. but everyone knows hollywood everyone knows los angeles you know it's it's the mecca yeah. it's the capital of what we do in this industry and it's also a, a lot of equipment if you are renting or you do need to find a specific thing for a specific project it's very readily available yeah you it's, do have everything you can here. go within two blocks or make a phone call and you get these resources or people who are able to crew up with you and there's just a huge pool and a lot of people get nervous with that like, oh there's so many people doing exactly what i'm doing how am i going to be able to stand out or how to... there's too much competition it's like no there's more videos being created now than there ever was in history and mm -hmm. that just means that there's more of more of a need for people who are creating content or directors of photography you're you're in or editors there's more videos being edited now than there ever than was. Ever, yeah. yeah, don't think of it as oh, there's more competition. It's like no, there's just there's more work. Yeah. Like you have a there's a, the pie has grown, you know. Yeah, and with that, I, I agree with you 100. percent I used to think a little bit like that when I first came to America. Yeah, you know, I was in film school, and I was like inside of me a little jealous of like whatever other guy was like directing something because I wanted to be the director. Right. And then I realized, you know, this guy's. I ended up like renting a camera from someone because I needed for something else and he was also a director and then we kind of became friends and then other guys that were also directing I kind of became friends with them and then we all started helping each other with projects because you know you need more people like how many times I have to call you I can shoot things but whenever I have a real project I call you to can you come and be the DP can you come and like be the gaffer can you help me with this yeah, and do the same. Yeah. instead of seeing people as competition yeah, yeah. the sooner you realize that these people are actually your gateway to more work you're gonna be more open to talk about different things help each other borrow equipment rent equipment from each other and it's so sad to when you encounter people who are kind of closed off and they don't want to like yeah they oh, have give you the light or like show you like how they get this client or yeah, how they, they have do this like a like a ego and there's like a, a, like competition and like i do the same job as you do and like i i you know like oh i don't want to get you into my world cuz uh, these are my clients and i want you or i do the hip hop music videos here and it's like Bro, there's so many of those to yeah. go around why don't we help each other you know it's yeah. like the same sort of thing it's like i i want to collaborate with other directors of photography because you know a lot of a lot of times if you are a dp you never work with other dps because you get onto a crew and you are that guy yeah and there's only one of you <laughs> yeah. and then you get on another crew and then you're just like this yeah. whereas if you're in like a grip or a you know uh, someone else in production assistant, whatever, you work with many directors, many DPs. So you get to see their work over and over again and you and you get to see like, okay, how did they do? What what tricks did they do? How do they like the scene? So every every shoot that you're on, you can learn from many different people and be like, okay, in the in this week or this month I, I worked with six DPs or six directors, six gappers, and I saw all the things that they did and I can apply that to my own work. 
But when you are the gaffer, you're the key grip, you're the whatever, and you only do that specific job, you only have experience of what you do and, and how you interact with other people. And, it, and it's difficult unless you, you know, reach out to people who are your same, work with other gaffers, work with other DPs, whatever, and reach out to those same people and try to make a connection rather than like mm-hmm. co- competing with them. Like, oh, like, I don't want to tell them about how to set up their their lighting company because I have my own lighting company and it's like no well maybe there's a sub rental that you need to and you end up they make money funny money from you or you can yeah. you can pass off a client to them or mm-hmm. or maybe this this shoot needs two DPs maybe you have five cameras and you need everyone all the DPs in town you need to hire all of them mm-hmm. if you don't have friends or connections with these people yeah. and you think of them as competition then you know you're not going to be able to have a network to reach out to these people and bring them on your projects and yeah. collaborate and pool your resources yeah. to make things better now with that being said you also have to be careful who you work with and you know there's a lot of betrayal we could say betrayal or backstabbing or like about mouthing however you say that in english of like people talking shit about yeah. you behind your back so how do you protect yourself from that? And have you had any like bad experiences that if you had known something different could have played different? Yeah, I mean, yeah, just do, just be genuine. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, it's, it's not usually crew positions that I feel like are, are really problematic, you know, because it's like, you either, if you are not good at your job or you're weird or you do something, you know, it's like you're probably just never going to get a call back, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, I'm never going to work with that guy. He's kind of a weirdo guy, you know, mm-hmm. or he made a mistake and, you know, that was his one chance <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. But it, but it's more of like the, the production company or the producer or the people who are creating the opportunities. Mm-hmm. If they are, um, I don't know how to say, if they're like, just making a situation that's that's it's just not a good environment to work to work in it's like you don't you want to take the work because it's like oh i got to pay bills and things like that but it's mm-hmm. like you end up not wanting to work with these companies and, yeah. and production companies even though you enjoy the work but it's just a, becomes a bad environment yeah you know not necessarily like oh they're like toxic or whatever but yeah. i don't know i've just worked with certain people that they they just don't manage their resource, their their team very well, you know. Well, what about the this situation? And I want to talk to you about this. Uh, you and I have experience working on a project, and then we don't get paid. We don't get yeah, paid yeah, for like weeks. That. We it's, don't it's get paid. Example, yeah. We don't get paid for months. Uh, I I haven't figured out a way yet. I, I remember you and I were texting earlier this year, and I was like, "Fuck it, this year I'm not gonna take a project unless <laughs> yeah. they pay me up front." I'm not going to take any of these projects if they don't want to pay me my rate. Because, man, I've worked with, it's not everyone, but I work with some people that they always want to cut down my rate. Mm-hmm. And I don't like, if I do that for me, then whenever I call you and everyone else, I have to do that to everyone. And I don't want to get into that habit of cutting people's rates. For me, I love it when I call you, you tell me your rate, and I'm like, yes. Not every project I'm able to do that. Yeah. But I try not to, like, I never want to squeeze you. Like, if I'm telling you that I can't pay that, it's because I actually don't have it in the budget. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, that's not your fault. So, like, because I don't have the money doesn't mean that you should have to cut my 
yes. right down to, to work with you. Yeah. Like I work with some ACs and they're very, very talented assistant camera people and they have their gear and they have their toolkit and they have their the knowledge and experience and they know how to, you know, they're just amazing. They're really good, right? But their rates are very high and they're always, always, always working. Their phone is ringing. They're booked every day, right? And I have a couple of different ACs that I try to reach out to that I want to work with every once in a while. And when I get a little bit of a budget, I try to call them and they're like my go-to people. And, but they're always booked, they're booked because they're good, right? And, and their rates are really high. And I make sure not to call them unless I have a project where I'm able to at least meet close to their day rate. You know, it's like their day rate is here and then I'm gonna offer them like this amount of money. It's like, they're doing me a favor just to like come out. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they're losing money <laughs> just to work with me, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, there's a lot of situations where I like, I, I feel bad like reaching out to people with such low rates. And it's like, yeah. it all kind of rolls downhill. And there, I feel like there's a lot of people, like you said, in, who are in that situation, production companies and things who are like they're, the client is like trying to lowball them so much and get like, oh, can you throw this in? Can you also do that? Can you? Do, and, and they're like getting stretched, bro. Like how, I have no, you know, you're not putting enough gas in the car and you want to go really far. <laughs> like mm-hmm. give me some more resources to be able to have all these people come on your project and do things, you know. You have a three camera shoot and you only have one camera operator it's like yeah. get three camera operators if you want three cameras and you want them to be operated and in focus and you know like to do things properly you need to have the the, the staff in place to really to do it you know and that's their profession you know they should it should be able to pay these people what they, they deserve and and they have a whole career of, yeah. of of getting all the little little tricks and little little you know if you're a micro you know you're a sound person you have a little moleskin that you put on the, the lav and you know you have all your little tapes and all your little accessories and little tie downs and mm-hmm. all that stuff costs money tape you know like yeah. people spend hundreds of dollars on their kit you know and, and it's like said about in one day they can, you know it's like i make 300 dollars, but i spent 600 on my kit just to come to you and work today mm-hmm. you know yeah and what you were saying about the knowledge and what people know like right now when i jump on a project it's not just how many hours I'm going to work. It's, I've been doing this for like over 15 years. And I know if you put the camera there, it's not going to look that good. If you don't tell this person to come at this time, they're going to be late and then everything is going to get messed up. Like if you don't mm-hmm. get enough of this, then this is going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of that and the experience that you have built out through the time. And also in your case and mine, your taste and style and the creative choices that you're going to make, that has a value yeah yeah but i think it's really hard even for ourselves to realize that value and to ask for that so how have you been able to make sure that you're saying what you're thinking and that you're asking for what you're worth well i have a specific rate in place you know and uh of course i do favors for people and i still work for free i've been working doing this over 15 years, I still work for free every once in a while, you know, to help people or to build my portfolio or what, you know, whatever situation, or I'll do things for discounted rates or I'll bring, maybe I am getting my full rate, but I'll bring extra things. Yeah. That's Which like you a, have done for me. That, like, that's a, that's another way. Like, oh, I, you know, like oh, I'm making just my bare minimum rate, but I'll bring like another like $500 worth of stuff just to enhance the project, to get it yeah. to where it should be, you know, mm-hmm. if there's like 
other parts of the budget aren't there or, or like I need another maybe there's no room in, in the budget for an assistant or uh, someone else to help with lighting or grip I'm gonna bring a grip just because I know I know we need a grip <laughs> and I know we need someone to pull focus or whatever and it's like I'd rather have them and make a little less money than not have them and have the show not go as well mm -hmm. you know yeah. so I've gotten to a place also where I don't work by myself I try never to work by myself I always try to bring at least one other person to you know kind of have my back you know make sure hey he's over there he's charging batteries or like he handed off the media or like you know your brain can only focus on so many things that's why there's filmmaking is a team sport there should be multiple people on set doing specific roles and you know and the smaller the crews get and the smaller the budgets get um you know like content creators they, they do sound they run camera they edit they they do all of the jobs and it's cool to really understand all of them but at a higher level when you when there's money involved and things need to move quickly and you have a schedule like really having specialized professionals in each role mm -hmm. it makes a huge difference and, and it should should be that way you know yeah so now you're making the the jump up to direct your first feature you've been working on it for a while how has that been different from being a cinematographer i think i would love to talk about the difference between a cinematographer and a director mm -hmm. what do you like about each yeah. one and like which one do you think you're going to end up picking long term oh well i'm a cinematographer for sure uh people ask me all the time oh you don't want to direct this and that and it's like i am directing my own film because otherwise it won't get made you know mm -hmm. and i did i actually brought on a director to help me with the film mm -hmm. um Because like I said, it's a team sport. I don't work alone, you know? Yeah. So even even if I'm the director and I'm coming up with these concepts and stuff, and if I'm at home and I'm doing the pre-production, when I get on set, I'm still in the technical role. I'm still with the camera. I'm still trying to set up sound. There's a you know, documentary, it's like real kind of run and gun. But I still want to bring a director with me and he's got his, his you know, the questions. We're going to do an interview. He's got all the questions written out. You know, I'm behind the camera and he's interviewing the person. And he's keeping them getting pulling out the emotions from people so it's like he's like my assistant director you know he's stepping in i i tell him ahead of time this is what i'm trying to achieve and and that person kind of like lit, vicariously like helps me to achieve yeah. that because i can't direct and do the technical at the same time why and didn't I, you hire someone and do the opposite bring on someone to do the camera oh and to then, be the technical yeah Because, yeah, that's a good question. So, like, I step into the director role and then have someone just do the technical role. Mm -hmm. uh, because when I, really, when I started this project, it was, I do a lot of projects for other people. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, I'm making commercial or I'm making a music video for a song for an artist or I'm making whatever it is. And it's always energy going out for other people, other things and whatever. And I wanted this to be more of like coming in my own self, you know, like my own art, you know, yeah. like an artist, you paint a picture and you're like, wow, that looks yeah. great. And they're like, I'm just going to keep it because it looks great and yeah. I like it. Yeah. But if you're doing it for something else, you're like, oh, this looks great. And you're like, I have revisions. Let's, <laughs> let, let's make that flower yellow. Let's make that, let's, let's bring that down a little bit and rotate it. Well, that's why I'm <laughs> curious why you didn't bring someone to do the camera work so you could focus on only the directing. It's like, in a way, you want to 
to direct and and get your movie out. Yeah, yeah. But you also want to keep control of the camera and like how it looks and all that. And yeah, I want yeah because I do I do want the the look to be my style. That's the curse of yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> loving cameras. Yeah, well, because I I want my my signature at the bottom of it. You know, I want yeah. my hand, my vision to be shaped the way I want it. Because yeah. there's so many times where people will tell me, oh, we got to do it this way. We got to shoot on this camera. We got to shoot with, from this angle. We got to light it this way. He's got to say this. It's got to have this tone. It's got to have this yeah. movement. And I get all these notes and all these voices. Yeah. And I just want to be like, this is my project. This is yeah. my thing. That's, you know? why I, I, that's why I can be a cinematographer. Yeah. I, I remember when I was in film school, this was, I think, 2012 or 2013. I one of my friends he was directing so he wanted me to shoot it and I was the cinematographer on the project. Yeah. Halfway through it I was like never again in my life I'm going to be a DP for someone else. Yeah. Because of what you were saying it's challenging you you're in a role where you are a servant. You need to think yeah. of yourself as a as a servant. I couldn't handle with that. Yeah. I, and I think I can do like to be a good leader you have to know how to follow. Mhm. Mm I think in that situation, because I was following someone that didn't have a great vision, execution and leadership and like someone that we did, we just didn't agree in our creative taste. Yeah. Let's yeah. put it that way. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it's all up down to taste. With film, it's subjective. What you're making, you're going to love something, I'm going to love something completely different. So I don't think it's fair to say, oh, that person was bad. Like usually we go straight to say, oh, they were bad, unless sometimes people are really they suck but for the most part it's just we have different tastes yeah, yeah yeah and i me knowing myself i personally need to have control over this is the final piece and that's why i have to be a director i can't be yeah i, I get it <laughs> but i think you enjoy having that control but focusing on the look and the cinematography side yeah yeah so would you pick cinematography long-term cinematography over directing yeah for sure for why me, for me because uh, i feel like i'm more of a technical person um also cinematography has a lot to do with lighting i work also as a gaffer mm -hmm. and, and gaffing and, and cinematography dp is kind of like they're very like that relationship between those two roles is very tight and i feel uh you know the director will give you broad information like i want a happy look <laughs> and you're like what the heck does that mean that's you know it's very esoteric yes. or like i want it to look dramatic or cinematic yeah. okay but that doesn't that doesn't translate into numbers well, you, <laughs> or, or, you are, or specific and, things and that's where your art comes in yeah you are the translator yeah yeah from the tone and style that the director wants i to take numbers. i think what's in their head and i have to communicate that to my crew to be able to bring out their vision yeah it was hilarious like we were setting up for the podcast and i'm asking scott like what he thinks about the light and stuff <laughs> he pulls out the little app with the meter to know how many stops of light we need inside i'm like i just want it to look good you know <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's a beautiful ability that when you get to shine in like your technical side is amazing. It's so fun. Yeah, it's it's for me is fun to there's so many aspects of it that are fun, you know, and, and being able to create moods and know that kind of stuff. And at the end of the day, you know, like you, 
put on a light and it's red and director says let's make it blue it goes to blue (laughs) you know it's like i thought it looked better red but they want it blue Mm -hmm. at the end of the day it's what's in their head let's make it blue let's i'm i'm a servant let's we're all here to serve what they want to create the product that they want so you know that's the whole thing coming back to my movie is like if i want it blue or red (laughs) it's gonna be red yeah that's great (laughs) now talking about different things and taste and all that you and I always go back and forth in post about like the software. Like right now, you switch to DaVinci, yeah, yeah, and you're like an evangelist for DaVinci because you like you really like <laughs> it. Good, yeah, I'm on the Final Cut train. I really like Final Cut. I like Final Cut too. I'm not like I think you said this once before on your story or something, but like uh, you know, learning different languages is very similar similar to learning like you know Avid. Premiere, Final Cut, Da Vinci, it's like French, English, Spanish, Portuguese, you know, it's like you're learning, you're, you're, you're speaking, you know, or like also driving, like I can drive a truck, I can drive a car, I can drive a golf cart, I can drive a motorcycle. It's like you're, you're, the skills are very similar and they overlap each other. But no, we have to pick on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with you, but I love to have the arguments with my friends about like what software is better, what yeah, yeah, is yeah. better. So you're at bad for Da Vinci. Why should I switch? Why should you switch from Final Cut Pro to Da Vinci? Um, for your first of all, the color is industry standard for color. Yeah. You're you're not going to be able to push and pull color or manipulate your overall final look any in any other software as good as you can in Da Vinci, hands down. Also, the hardware that uh, Blackmagic Design created for the color panels in DaVinci. Like the pan, the actual Yeah, the micro panel, the mini panel, the full-on board console, if yeah. you're a full-on colorist, like to be able to push and pull on the wheels and to really dial in your look, no software comes yeah. close to that at all. Yeah. Uh, I don't care how good you are with your little clicky mouse, you don't have the, the control uh, and precision of the wheels and yeah. each one of the panels. I will give you that like if you're going for full-on professional like post house yeah yes my challenge with that is but also if you're editing on an airplane you're not gonna have a full concept. You're not, yeah. yeah my challenge with that is I can get my look 90% of the way there with my clicky mouse on Final Cut yeah. and get it out faster mm-hmm. than round tripping well in this case if i'm using da vinci i'm not round tripping yeah you're still in the software yeah but how much am i going to really do to that i guess it goes back to depending on the project like for my feature i did full-on color with a colorist in da vinci it was like one of the most beautiful experiences of my life it's great yeah (laughs) we had the theater he had the whole computer it was a nightmare to get it from final to da vinci and then in DaVinci you export and you have like a master timeline thing. You, you can't really, shop it up. Yeah. you couldn't really shop it up because even if you, if you did that, it's a more complicated process. And then am I going to relink all of that in the timeline? Because it was an hour and a half. I wasn't going to really do that. So then when I had some shots that needed to be trimmed or changed or swapped out or in QC, when we did the, with Bitmax, when we were doing the QC to send it to Apple, mm-hmm some shots like were wrong they had like the colorist had added some effects that created some like weird noise pattern and had to replace that so it was more complicated 
but I love that experience of like pushing with the wheel and getting like really specific. So I give you that. That is really good. Yeah, that's where it elevates your project. It's an art in itself. Of just yes. that's just one aspect of Vivian. Yes. But then the edit, the edit page, I can't, I can. Yeah, what issues do you have with this? <laughs> it just, it's kind of ugly, and it okay. reminds me of Premiere. It like it looks very like blocky. Mm -hmm. I feel like Final Cut is simpler and has less options, but they created something where I can edit faster, and it feels cleaner and like smoother in the interface. With DaVinci, it feels like with the tracks, I'm not a fan of the tracks. Once you go with a no track timeline, I think going back to a track timeline, I, I don't enjoy it as much. And I feel like I'm slower. Final Cut still has tracks. If you want them, but I never turn on the tracks. It's just like clips that attach to each other. And it's like, I think that's the beauty of that software. Yeah. I don't need to keep mine off tracks, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, there's the cut page inside of DaVinci, yes, which I'm a which big confused still. Very with. similar to Final Cut in the way okay. that it works. Uh, and that's for exactly what it sounds like, getting a rough cut, getting, you have a ton of footage that you just shot and you have dailies or whatever it is your project is, you went out and shot a bunch of B-roll and you have, you're going to cut together a little select reel of B-roll and you just need to chop through it really fast in and out in and out boom 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 and throw it all into a uh, just you know real rough cut and just quickly 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 make an assembly put a title da 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 export like you have something real fast mm -hmm. even a podcast if it's multi cam yeah. something like that one, for one camera two camera three camera boom and just yeah crunch it out in 10 minutes that's yeah. yeah amazing for that with the podcast we're using the black magic switcher and that's why I'm considering going testing DaVinci my brother is like you're crazy you have to like stop changing because like every time you change a software and this is the implication I know everyone wants to say oh you should learn this learn that I understand when you have spent like five years ten years on a platform changing switching you lose all your plugins you lose that quick ability and your speed and mm -hmm. like my brother CJ has that with Premiere like he's on Final Cut now but the other day we we're talking about it and he was still saying like it doesn't feel as fast on Final Cut. I think that will come with time. With DaVinci, I do love that they have media, the cut page, the like, fine edit, then you have your color window. It, it forces your you sound. It, it forces you to, I have ADD. So for me, it's like, I'm able to focus. A lot of people, they're like, okay, I'm cutting. Oh, that's a cool clip. Let me start coloring the clip. Okay, never mind. No. Yeah, let I, me go back and let me start working on audio. And, and then they're like all over the place. And yeah. for me, it's like, no, 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 no. Let's import all our media and organize it. Then let's move on. Let's cut a rough cut. Mm -hmm. Then let's go and edit it and refine it. And add. then let's make some fusion titles and make it like this. Mm -hmm. Then let's work on our audio and let's make sound effects and everything. Then let's color it. Then let's deliver it and get it out. And it's you're doing it in passes and you're yeah. really focusing in and eliminating all the other tools out of the way. When I'm in the in the in the fusion or the Fairlight page and I'm working on audio, everything is away. 
all I see is audio stuff. Yeah. My my waveforms are up. My yeah. mixer is up. I'm in a full on editing work uh, that, audio workstation right now. That, I give you that. That is like by far my favorite. When I have 25 tracks of, of sound effects and music and comp I'm composing. I don't want to see color wheels. I don't want to see editing track. I don't want to see menus, media pool. I don't want to see the clips. You know, like yes, that's that's very accurate. Yeah. I I, I, I think I need to spend more time in it. And I also love the new thing, so I love jumping. Like I, I did uh, Da Vinci back when I was in film school. I yeah. before they had the cut page, before they had Fairlight, before they had the Fusion. Even like I learned Da Vinci, and mm. I was grading things. Yeah, yeah. And I was using the color because it's very. For me, color is like the dessert. Yeah, yeah. Like cherry I, on top. Yes, I don't start coloring until I finish my edit. Yeah, it's like your, my get reward. Your meat and potatoes. Out yes, of the way. it's my reward. So that's why I love Da Vinci. I just think Final Cut Seal has a more solid way of doing your keywords. It's way easier for me to find my yeah. in and outs and favorite in and out favorite because I don't do rough cuts on the timeline anymore. I go through the clips and I do selects and favorites. Favorites, yeah. And then I bring the favorites you can do it down. In Vinci. I need to learn how to do that. You, you can create smart bins. Smart, smart bins is a, is a way of. That's it's similar to the the way Final Cut works. Okay. They've, so they've, they've, they've copied. They've taken. I. Yes. It's all the same. They're taking, but Da Vinci, you're. They are taking from everybody. A Toyota does this. Oh, Honda also has this feature. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. But it's not like only the software has yes. it. Yes. I think Da Vinci is trying to become like the Tesla of editing software because they are trying to bring everything into one yeah if they are able to maybe they go and buy CapCut and bring in all those like little titles and animations and little things into that yeah to create social i think where apple really did something amazing everyone shit on them for going the prosumer route mm -hmm. with the film first version of final cut x being kind of more like iMovie with a little more I, features. I never thought that. I thought it was pretty. pretty but that's well. what the editing yeah. community thought because they were coming from Final Cut Seven yeah. and Avid, and then Apple. I think they were able to see ahead. Ten years ago, yeah, the editing software was just for people who were working in like big projects. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, every Instagram influencer, every YouTuber, every person making content. Like my son is editing his YouTube videos, and like I taught him Final Cut, and he can do it. And he's eight. Mm -hmm. So they went ahead to create something kind of simple that serves the masses instead of creating something super specific and strong like an Avid or the, even Da Vinci. And I think Da Vinci and Blackmagic now they're going that same route where they're adding a lot of things to Da Vinci to make it a more versatile tool. Instead of just a coloring thing that does a little bit of editing. Oh no, it's a very powerful, full-on NLE. Yeah, it's not just color. Now, how do you feel about all of these companies kind of competing? And in this case, DaVinci, they have the camera, and they have the software. They also have all of these broadcast tools that are used. Yeah. yeah. So I think they're really solid. But at the same time, I don't think they can compete with Apple in terms of the hardware integration and even making the software in a way that is cleaner and like future-proof and more versatile. I tried DaVinci with my feature film and it, it couldn't handle all that footage. 
I tried with Premiere. It couldn't like handle all of that. Maybe it was my, and I had a, a computer. Now that computer is super old. It's the little MacBook Pro yeah, yeah, trash can. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When I used Final Cut, I was able to cut through the, the whole movie. Yeah. It still got a little like bogged down towards the end when the libraries were growing. So I didn't do proper data management. I should have done that's cut. A, that's another thing is uh, all you know these other softwares, they have a library file or like a project file and that can go anywhere, all over. It can be in this hard drive, it can be over there. It's really unorganized. DaVinci, every time you create a new project, they're all in the same spot inside of the program. Mm -hmm. You never lose your project. It's right there. You open it up and you choose which project you're going to pick to start off with. And all of those live in the same library file right there together. It's not like, oh, this is on that hard drive and then mm -hmm. this is on the other hard drive that I'm working on and this is in my email and <laughs> it's like yeah. all over the place. It's like when I come to sit down and I work in DaVinci, first thing that pops up is which program am I going to, which, which project am I going to start yes. cutting and they're all laid out in front of me and it's real easy to export those and send it off to someone else that is working or also with Blackmagic Cloud you can collaborate and, and you can add projects to that so other people could be working on the color while you're doing the cut and it's just really organized whereas like uh, I remember with the, uh, the libraries of Final Cut having to when I was collaborating, I used to work at an editing studio and I, we would transfer, we had a server, but we would transfer all the projects back over onto the server to match up with all of the uh, online edits or the offline edits, online mm -hmm. edits. We'd match them back up with the project files. And it was like, if you didn't, you have to like show content, it would open up the project file. Yeah. If you didn't have everything in there in the same structure, it's like your project wouldn't open properly, media would be offline, things like that. And it's like, with DaVinci, it's just so much easier to like hand off your footage to other editors or, you know, it's just packaged better. Yeah. Well, I definitely have to try it yeah. more and, and play with it. But I don't know. I think the going back to specializing on things, if you follow that concept, then maybe I don't need to spend so much time on editing. I think. Yeah. Unless what, you are what, only an editor. Yeah. What do you think about this? Because a lot of the times we see everyone being so good at everything that we want to we want to edit, we want to shoot, we want to direct, we want to produce, like we want to do it, all of it. Sometimes I feel like we should do less horizontal and less broad and maybe more specific mm -hmm. and only focus on that one thing. What's your take on that? Um, yeah, I actually made a couple of videos about this <laughs> topic where, yeah, it's like the same thing as, you know, the people who, like I said about the ACs, you know, camera assistants, the, I, the reason I call them is because they're very specialized. They have a camera car, they have all of the specific tools that an AC would need, you know, they have the knowledge of uh, the different hand units and focus motors and they, they know how to calibrate my monitors or whatever it is. And, and they're very... That's all they do every day. <laughs> every job they go on, they're using the same tools or they're learning the same things. And, you know, they don't know anything about producing. But they, but get that monitor set up, they got you. You know, like, balance the camera, oh, I'm on it. You know, yeah. that's that's their thing. They're just, and they're, they stay working because of it. You know, or the editor, too. If, you're a specific, if you are just an editor, 
you got all your hotkeys dialed in. You got your plugins. You got your monitor. You got your sound. You, you have your workflow of how to, you know, import and export and deliver to your clients. And you are dialed. At, you're a ninja at editing. You know, whereas like the guy who, oh, I have a project. I only edit every two weeks or so. Whereas you're that guy like in the edit cave all day. You are locked in. You know, it's like. Yeah. Muscle memory. You don't even. You can be sleeping and editing. You, yeah. you become so good at it. You know. Yeah. You know, or 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 any job that you're doing, right? You know, you you're on the you're a gaffer. You're on your iPad. You start to just. You know how to work your lights without even looking at them. You know, it's like you just you're so dialed. You know, mm -hmm. or like you're a producer. Like you can make a call sheet in your sleep. You don't even need to look. Copy paste. Da, 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 send it out. Email. Yeah. Whatever it is. Oh, lunch order. You know, anything that you need to like be doing repetitive. Because you're so, so, it's like, for me, if I had to make a call sheet, I would be like, oh my God. Yeah, and some, some people are laughing, like, a call sheet, bro, that's really not a big deal. Yeah. But to me, I never make call sheets, so that would be like, Annoying. I'd have to yeah. go Google it. Yeah, <laughs> or or sure. find a template. <laughs> for sure. Now, how do you feel about the, now that you said Google it, how do you feel about film school versus like traditional going and learning and paying all this money like is it worth it what was your experience I never asked you about this did you ever went to film school or anything like that uh no I went never went to like a special film school I after my high school was like a film school so my high school was one of the top in the nation for you know, high school level uh, media production so we were very advanced and uh, my parents kind of saw like when I was younger that I had like this, you know, uh, you know, I had a, I was drawn to like work in film. I was, I love photography. I love motion pictures. If you had to do it again, would you consider going to a, a proper film school here in LA or would you just come out and start working? Um, to do it again, I probably, I don't know. I see it depends on your financial situation, I would say. You know, if you can afford it, then yeah, I see that there's a benefit in it to, to get you quickly up to speed. Um, yeah, definitely. And also networking. I see that as a huge thing is being able to come up with a class full yeah. of people that all want to do the same things. And maybe you have different specialties. But like I said, filmmaking is a team sport. Mm -hmm. So if you're able to learn and get into a pool of, of upcoming individuals that are all going to come out into the industry and now you've got like... 20, 30 people that you have their phone number or Facebook friends with that you, oh, this person became a producer and this guy became a key grip and this guy became whatever. Now we're all buddies because we've been in school for so long, you know, yeah. it's, you're all here at the same level. Yeah. Whereas like if you're just coming in and breaking in, you're, you know, maybe you don't meet these people or you meet one, but you don't meet 20, their, yeah. everyone in their class yeah. that's all working. So that that's, that's a benefit, I would say. You know, and also a lot of film school students, I was talking to a DP about this, is like that when you come out of film school, like you are like so eager to work and you're like a robot, not in a bad way, but you're like, you know, your stuff, you know, whatever you were took a cinematography class, you took a lighting class. It's like, you know, your stuff really well, but you have no experience. <laughs> you have a, you have simulated experience, but you, and you know, and you're book smart about it, but you haven't applied it yet you know so these people are really good uh at what they do from like a technical aspect sense sense of it but they don't have like the interpersonal skills and, and they don't quite understand the flow of how a production day goes quite yet 
they, they, they understand it because they've learned how it goes, but they've never been through it enough times to get get the feel of it yet. Mm-hmm. So that's like kind of, but that's that can come, you know. But they're they're good. They're like little film worker robots. So if, <laughs> so it's a good it's a good like head start if you can afford to go to film school. I yeah. say my path was not that. My path was like going to the high school program and learning in the green screen, learning Final Cut, VHS is like a old before Avid. Uh, used to edit on tapes and that kind of thing. And I learned uh, and with the green screen and photography and switch live switching almost like what we're doing today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I learned a lot of that stuff when I was like really young 16 17 18 out of high school i was like into uh working in the news so it was like quick turnaround i'd go out shoot some b-roll and then i'd come back you know five o'clock i'd have to edit it all together and get a story up on the news by five o'clock so quick quick turnaround you know like mm-hmm. running gun sort of guerrilla filmmaking you know yeah, yeah. and now it's kind of a jack of all trades too because you go out by yourself you need to learn about lighting sound you need your dear one-man crew you know yeah. And you go out and you get the story. You're the director, and you know you're everything. Yeah, you're everything. So yeah. I learned those those skills. And then as I started to work more professionally, you start to work with crews and under, understand how to how to communicate with these people and what they do and how they can elevate your project. You know, and delegate some of that to them. You know, which is good. It takes some off your plate. You know. Cool. Well, Scott, thank you so much, man, for coming on the show. Yeah, yeah. It was a pleasure. Thank you guys so much for watching this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like it, click on this other episode. You're really going to love it. And as always, we'll see you in the next one.